Good morning. <sighs> you know, I have to say, I am I'm humbled to be able to step into this sort of new season, this new ministry, really, here at New Life. I, you know, my, my heart really is for high school students and middle school students to see them come to know Jesus, to meet Jesus, and then out of that, watch them live the lives that he created them to live. That's been my heart for as long as I can remember, but now I get to expand my vision just a little bit more. See, now I get to think about how we can shape ministry for every kid and every teenager who walks through the doors of New Life Fellowship Church. Now I get to think about how we can partner with parents and help families win as you look to disciple your children at home. But now I also get to invite all of you into this mission, into this work with us. Because the thing I realize is we can't do it alone. It's great to have the people standing up here that we did. I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful and so grateful for all that they give, all that they commit, but we need more. See, the thing I realize is it, it's not just a few specialists who come in and lead small groups and are hosts or greeters or worship leaders or communicators, whatever it is that they do when they serve in Next Gen, it actually takes all of us working together. Because whether we realize it or not, the next generation is looking to everyone in this room to see what real faith looks like. They want to know what it means to be a Christian beyond their time with us in elementary or high school or middle school or wherever they happen to meet us here. And so my invitation to you today is to consider, as you're sitting here today, think about ways that maybe you can jump in and get involved. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be coming to a ministry. You can definitely always be praying for us. We need people in the trenches who are willing to get on their knees and lift up the next generation to God. See, because what I understand is that every generation has a responsibility to the generation that comes after it, to point them in the right way. And here at New Life Next Gen, this is not about just taking over a service once a year. This is about creating intentional, intergenerational relationships, young and less young, together. I don't want to call nobody old. <laughs> That's what we're looking to do. It's about partnership. It's about moving forward together and fighting for the next generation so they have a chance in this world to have a faith that they will carry with them everywhere they go and for the rest of their lives. And right at the center of that mission, right at the center of that desire is a question. And I, I asked this question at our parent conference, and I was speaking specifically to parents. And the question was this. If you think about all the hopes and dreams and wants and wishes that you have for your kids, and I, every parent hopes that their child becomes something, it's usually a healthier, more successful, more secure version of themselves. But what if your child didn't become any of those things? but they have a deep love for Jesus, and they live their life out of that love for Jesus, would that be okay? It's easy to say yes, but when your kid is the one telling you, hey, I'm not going to college because God called me to the mission field, that's a lot harder to take. But do we trust Jesus enough to put, him in their care, to put them in his care? See, that's the tricky part. That's the tricky part, and I want to broaden that a little bit more because I actually think, I realize that not everyone in here is a parent, but I also know that you all have hopes and dreams and wants and wishes for your lives. But what if you don't get any of those things? What if instead God calls you to something different and you're living your life out of this deep love for Jesus? Would you be okay with that? 
And again, it's real easy to say yes, but when you're faced with that choice, you might find that the road is a little, less, a little, more, a little more difficult. And so to say it another way, the, the question that I want to answer today, the question I really want to talk about is, is our faith, is our life oriented more around morality or Jesus? Because they're not the same. And we're going to talk about what that means. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you have a word for us today. Thank you that your presence has been here. I pray that we can be attentive and attuned to what you're doing and how you're moving. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says together, and nice and loud too. Beautiful, beautiful. Today we're going to look at a story from the book of Matthew. It's about the rich young man. And it's found in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26. You can follow along on the screens. If you need a Bible, our ushers are happy to get one to you. Just raise your hand. Use your phone if you need to to follow along on the Bible app. Let's read together. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the man says, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Everybody say astounded. Astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. I love this. But with God, all things are possible. Say all things are possible. possible. Say all things are possible like you believe it. All things are possible. Amen. This is one of those famous Bible stories that if you've spent any time in church at all, I guarantee that you've interacted with it in some form or another. And so it goes that Jesus is approached by this man, and he has a very particular question in mind. He has some kind of information that he's looking for. Now, we don't know a lot about him. We don't know his name, but we do know a few really important things. One of them is that he is very, very wealthy. The Bible says that he walked away from Jesus because he had so many possessions. But the other thing to pay attention to is he was actually a pretty good guy. Think about it. Jesus runs off that list of commandments. He says, don't kill, don't steal, don't, don't, don't sleep with somebody else's wife, don't do all these things. And the guy says, I've done all that stuff, and there is no place in the world where not killing someone is not considered really good. There's no place in the world where all the things on, on the list that Jesus runs down, those are universal good things. And this man claims, if we believe his own testimony about himself, that he's done all of these things. But he still has this nagging question in his mind. He wants to know, he wants to know what he needs to do. His question is simply this, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life. 
See, he looks at eternal life. He looks at Jesus as this is a transactional thing. I do this thing, and then I get this thing over here. That's his, his question tells us that that's exactly how he thinks about this gift of eternal life. He's thinking, if I just do one good thing, I'm already a really good person. I should be able to just be in there and feel secure in it. He wants to know what he can do to make sure he receives eternal life. Let me tell you something. I have had so many moments in my life when I'm asking that exact question. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to make my parents happy? What do I have to do to get a raise or a promotion at work? What do I have to do to keep my wife happy? It's usually taking out the trash. (laughs) But what do I have to do to get whatever it is that I happen to be after? What do I need to do? And actually, one of the key ideas of our culture today is that we, all of us, are individually the sum of all the things that we do. In other words, I am what I do. I am what I do. And so I see that a lot in our student ministry. I meet, with, I meet high school students and middle school students every single week who, are, who believe that they are shaped by their grades. They believe that their value is either increased or decreased based on a score they get on a test or, or a report card that they bring home. I see that in, in, the, in our lives in general when, when, when we're finding our security in our jobs when we're finding our security in our relationship status, when we're finding our identity in how many people follow us on social media, on how many likes we get or retweets that we happen to find ourselves with. We, we believe that if we've done what it takes to earn something, then we deserve it. You know, years ago on my, I call it a pilgrimage through the 75 jobs I've had since college, um, yeah, I just, I like to quit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm here. <laughs> so I had a job working at an after-school program. Um, I was working with teenagers specifically, and I was doing such a good job that my boss promoted me to be her assistant, to help her run the department. Then she had to go away on a sabbatical for about a month. And while she was away, she left me in charge to run the program. And I'm telling you, like, I was killing it. Kids were coming on time. Kids were doing their homework. They were following through on the the kind of the different agreements that we made in order for them to be in the program. Everything was moving super smooth. It was fantastic. And I thought to myself, when she comes back, she's going to be so pleased with what I'm doing that she's going to give me a promotion. Like maybe she'll give, she'll help me get my own program within the organization that I can run. And I was sure of it because of all the stuff I had done. Well, when she came back, I realized that I was completely wrong in in what I thought was going to happen. Because the first thing she did when she came back from her sabbatical was fire me. (laughs) I could not believe that that she fired me. Because I'm looking at it, I'm saying, what do I have to do? Like, what didn't I do? Because I should have been elevated and instead I got kicked out the door. Let me tell you something. I think we do the same thing when it comes to God. I think that we approach God with this idea that if I'm doing good, then there's no reason for you and I to not be good. 
That if I'm doing well, if I'm doing good things, there's no reason for God to not be pleased with me. When I was a teenager, I felt this way a lot. I actually believed that, and I would have these conversations mainly with myself, and I would, because if anybody heard it, they would correct me. But I, would, I believed that I had no need to pray. There was no need to confess. There was no need for any of that because in my view, according to my perception, I wasn't sinning that much. My record in my mind was clean because I had a list of bad things that I shouldn't do, and I wasn't doing any of them. I wasn't smoking. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't sleeping around. I, I, was, I was in church every single weekend with my family. And so, God, why do I need to ask you to forgive me for anything when look at how wonderfully I'm doing? And I walked around that way for a really, really long time. See, my perception of my relationship with God was based on my record. You can't say anything about me because I'm not doing anything that anyone could say anything about. And so my whole approach to God was based on my record. See, never mind that I was lying all the time. Never mind that I made life absolutely miserable for all my Sunday school teachers. (laughs) Some of them come here and and I still see the scars that they carry. (laughs) See, we couldn't talk about that. We couldn't get into that because it destroyed my whole view that I was getting by on just being good or my version of good. And so to this point in our story today, Jesus hasn't spoken yet. This man asks a question. He says, teacher, what do I have to do? What good thing can I do? And Jesus is about to respond to him, but I want you to pay attention to the way that he responds. He starts like this. In verse 17, he says, Why ask me about what's good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. Jesus hears this guy's question, and his question is about, his question is what? What? What can I do? And Jesus says, I don't want you to pay attention to what, because you're forgetting about who. See, this is is the beauty of Jesus' response. Instead of responding immediately to what this man was asking, he points him to the source of any and all good that happens in the entire world. He said, there is no one and nothing good except for God. God is the only one that's good. The source of good is him. Anything good that happens flows from him, and that's where we need to begin our conversation. Not with what you can do, but with who. And then Jesus responds. But to answer your question, like, I love that. <laughs> He's like, I know you didn't ask for this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because you need it. And now I'll get to what you asked me about. Like, I love that Jesus does that. He just, he sets this guy up to have a good conversation so he can point him to where he actually needs to go. And it's towards the father. And then he says, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The young man replied, you must not murder, commit adultery, you must not steal, don't testify falsely, honor honor your parents, love your neighbor. And he says, "I've, I've done all this. I've done all of this. Like, does that mean I'm okay? But he can't possibly believe that he's okay because his next question is, what else must I do? You have a picture right here of a person who is literally stuck between morality and Jesus. He's stuck on his own behavior. He's stuck on the things that he's doing. 
and he can't see Jesus right in front of him. He can't see his need for Jesus. He's here asking, what else must I do? Because I wonder if there's that nagging thought in the back of his head where he knows what I've done is not enough. What I've done is not quite enough. There surely has to be more than this. What else must I do? See, I I think that some of you are sitting here today and you're asking yourself that same question about your own life. What else must I do? You stack up your life and all of your accomplishments, the things that you've done, your activity, your record, and you hope that with all these good things, you will somehow good your way into God's will. It's all driven by the belief that God responds to us because of what we are doing. But have you ever had a moment like this man is having? Where you're the one with that nagging thought in the back of your head that what you've done is not enough. Or maybe you feel guilty because you know that there's more, like you feel like there's more you want to be doing, but you know you're not doing it. See, no matter how you try to measure up your morality, your record isn't quite enough. It never feels like it's quite enough, and you wonder if there's just more. But all of it is oriented around doing. It's all about doing. It's all about participating in something, producing something. It's all about doing. So are you living with the weight of this man's question? Because that's heavy. What else must I do? And thankfully, Jesus has an answer. He doesn't just leave him. (laughs) He has an answer. See, he sees this man, and I love that, I believe it's in Luke, it says that he saw him and he loved him. He saw him and he loved him, and he hears the answers that this man's given, and he tells him, he gives him one really huge task. He says, I want you to go and sell everything that you have, turn around and give all that you get to the poor, then come follow me. When Jesus sees this man, he loves him, but he recognizes that he's living in a prison of his own morality. He's trapped by his own doing. See, he realizes that this guy has built his identity in both what he has and what he's done. He believes that his doing, his effort, his striving is what it takes to somehow earn eternal life. See, he doesn't ask, what do I need? He asks, what must I do? To me, what that says is, he thinks he already has everything he needs. He thinks he has everything he needs within himself to get the thing he's asking about, which is why he has no concern. He thinks that what do I need is not even a thought in his head. It's only about what must I do. And by every measure that we can think of, this guy is a massive success. He's the kind of kid that any parent in here would be bragging about all the time. Do you know what my son does? Do you know how many people he helps? Do you know all this stuff? He's someone of high moral character, and he believes that he doesn't need Jesus because of what he's doing. So it's almost like he's saying, what do I need to be saved from if I've already saved myself? You know, it's not difficult to put morality on a pedestal. We all have ideas about what a good life looks like, about the good we're supposed to be doing out in the world. And sometimes we even look to the church to help shape our morality. And there's also a comfort that comes from just, I'm a good person. That feels good. I'm going to pat myself on the back. 
But the goal of our faith isn't a moral life. It's a relationship with Jesus. The goal of our faith is not a moral life. It's a relationship with Jesus. The truth of the Christian faith would actually say that the pursuit of goodness on its own is like if that's what you're aiming for, you're aiming too low. If all you're trying to do is just be good, then you're aiming too low. Tim Keller says this about the gospel. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. My friends, let me get this, let's get this part straight. You, every single one of you is loved. You know what, everybody, I just want you to say, I am loved. loved. Come on, I I am loved. You are loved, Jesus loves you. He doesn't love you after you behaved well. He loved you while we were still, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you right here, right now, today where you are, and you don't need to perform. You don't need to behave. He says, I love you. And if you don't know, if you don't think he loves you, then why did he stretch out his arms on that cross and die for you? But I want you to understand this. He didn't die so that you could be good citizens of the world. He died so that you can have a relationship with him. He died so that your sins could be forgiven. He died so that he can fill you with his spirit and send you out into the world on mission to all the people and all the places you go so that when they meet you, they actually are meeting Jesus. See, Jesus didn't die to make you good citizens of the world. He died so you could be citizens of his kingdom. And that's what this message is about. It's not about morality. And so when we have young people come into our church, whether they're itty-bitty little babies or teenagers who sometimes act like itty-bitty little babies, (laughs) the goal is the same thing. It's not behavior modification. It's relationship with Jesus. We don't want to teach them how to behave. We want to teach them how to live. We want to point them to real, authentic Faith, what does it mean to have a faith in Jesus? What does it look like in my social studies class when my teacher is telling me that God is not real and I'm stupid for believing it? Because that happens. We want them to be able to stand on something that looks real, which is why I said before that we need all of you. We need all of you walking this thing out, not not caught up in your own morality, but trusting Jesus for his grace and his goodness and his forgiveness in your life so he can unleash his plans and purposes for you wherever you put your feet. See, what the rich man is doing in this story, and I think if we're honest, what we sometimes lack is a realization of how much we actually need God. See, he can't see that his doing has gotten him nowhere. And more doing will just get him more of the same. How many of you have heard that that quote, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten? If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. So this man wants to keep doing things the exact same way he's been doing them, not realizing that he's like a hamster on a wheel, going nowhere fast. Jesus is inviting him into something different. He's inviting him into relationship. He's inviting him to stop trusting in his own record and start trusting in Jesus' perfect record. Let me tell you something. Jesus is inviting you to the exact same thing. 
to stop trusting in your own record, to stop trusting in your own morality, your own doing, and start trusting in what's already been done by Jesus for you. It's done. When Jesus said it was finished, it's, it's finished. That's the final word. He's inviting you into that relationship with him. There are three takeaways I want you to walk out of here with in a few minutes. I'm going to call our worship team to come forward. It's actually three words. The first word is record. Everybody say record. Record. See, our morality can put us in a place where we find ourselves trusting in our record. Like I just said, Jesus is asking us to trust in his perfect record. He's not inviting you into a life of doing. He's inviting you into a life of being. Like, as I was thinking about this, I said, you know what? I ask people all the time, how are you doing? Maybe I should start asking people, how are you being? Like, how are you being? Like, how are you connecting? How are you getting with Jesus in intimate relationship? How are you going deeper in your walk with him? How are you being? Because I heard this quote this week, and it it just really stuck in my mind, because I think it captures a lot of what we're talking about today. It's this, it's possible to work really hard for God and have no relationship with God. You can do all kinds of good things and God is not involved in them at all. Because you you can't know what he's calling you to outside of a relationship with him. You cannot know the good that you are called to in this world outside of a relationship with Jesus that's informing everything that you do. See, it's not that we're not called to be good because we are, but we're called to be good out of a relationship with God, not the other way around. Our pathway isn't morality than Jesus. Our pathway is just Jesus. Our road to eternal life is just Jesus. It's only Jesus. The next word is maturity. Everybody say maturity. It says in this, in this story, it says that if Jesus tells him if he wants to be perfect, that he should go and sell everything. That word perfect comes from another word that actually means maturity or to be made whole. Now that's important because Jesus calls this man to go and sell everything, not to punish him for having a lot of stuff. He's speaking into the thing that keeps him from Jesus. He's telling him, I want you to be willing to give up the very thing that keeps you from having the kind of relationship with me that I want you to have. My friends, he's calling you to the same thing. In every single one of our lives, I think if we were to really sit down and have an honest conversation with ourselves, we might find things that keep us from Jesus. We might find stuff that we love more than him. An invitation to us today is to let go of those things, to live a life of surrender. It says in the book of Mark, chapter 8, it says, if anyone would come after me, if they want to find their life, they're going to lose their life. So my question for you is, think about your hopes and dreams and wants for your life would you be okay if you got none of them but found yourself deeply in love with Jesus living out of the realization (laughs) that whether you love him or not you are already deeply loved by Jesus and see I think what happens is a lot of people one of the saddest things in this story was that the man walked away In other words, he gave Jesus no opportunity to make him into anything. 
before he even got to the point where Jesus could show him, hey, if you're obedient and you do the thing that I'm calling you to do, like I've got something over here. But he walks away. Listen, just because the, just because the ask can sometimes be difficult, don't walk away because the reward is always greater. The reward for, for saying yes to the things that Jesus is calling us to is more Jesus. It's deeper relationship with God. It's deeper union and, and fellowship with God. Don't walk away. Walk towards. And then comes Jesus' final word because that seems really difficult. That actually is very hard. And I love that Jesus kind of wraps up his whole conversation with this man. The first time he spoke, he pointed at God. He said, I want you to know that God is the only one who's good. That there is nothing good in this world outside of God. And his final word in the story points to what makes all of this possible. His final word in the story, his disciples ask him, Jesus, who can be saved? How can anyone be saved? And Jesus says, humanly speaking, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It's not about your doing. There's no way any of us can have an authentic, real faith outside of relationship with Jesus, and that's what he's calling you to. He wants to wrap you in his embrace and then unleash you into your life. We've been offered Jesus' perfect record and relationship. We've been offered the power that we need to live this way. Now look, we can coast on our own morality, possible. You can subscribe to a Christian ethic, a Christian way of thinking and being, and be completely absent from a relationship with the one who actually calls you to himself. Like you can do all kinds of really good things and that will most definitely make you a really, really good person. But it won't get you into heaven. So are you living for morality or Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. <laughs> we thank you that you have called us to relationship. I thank you that you've opened up your, your arms to us to not try to get by on our record, but to move forward on your perfect record. God, I pray that we would be bold in pursuing you and having relationship with you and letting go of the stuff that keeps us from you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
Amen. Let's have our prayer team come to my left. Invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to my right. Let's thank Matt for just the gift of his, his preaching today. I want to lead us in a prayer of confession because the truth of the matter is we are all the rich young ruler in that story. Uh, it's easy to live our lives based on uh, morality and behavior modification. And Jesus is not after our behavior modification. He's after our transformation. Uh, as I've said before, it's a wonderful quote that God didn't come to make bad people good or good people better he came to make dead people come alive and when we receive the life of Jesus everything else now begins to take care of itself when we offer ourselves to Christ we, we now make space for the Holy Spirit to now form us in the way of Jesus so now it is Christ's life living through us as opposed to us trying to do the things for Jesus. And the rich young ruler is so caught up in his own sense of accomplishments and his prayer life and his morality that he has missed the gift of God's mercy, the gift of God's grace, which is why we pray a prayer of confession almost every Sunday at New Life, because it's our recognition that no matter what we do, we're always going to fall short. And yet God's mercy is new for us every single morning. And so let's put that prayer of confession on the screen. We pray it out loud as a congregation because it's us acknowledging that we're all in the same boat. All of us need mercy. All of us need grace. Some of you maybe came into our church today. You've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You need mercy. You need grace. Some of you have been Christian for 20 years, 30 years, every day. You need mercy. You need grace. And so we pray this as a congregation together as a way of saying, Lord Jesus, I want to open my heart to you because all the things that I've done well are, are still not enough. I need mercy. I need grace. And so as the people of God, let's pray this prayer of confession together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own faults, in thoughts, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. For whatever needs you have today, we want to pray for you. Maybe some of you are caught within the trap of your own behavior modification. And so there's some weeks that you feel really great about yourself. And then there are weeks that you don't. And maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you fell into some sin. Maybe some addiction has caught up with you. Uh, maybe you haven't even uh, snapping at everyone. Bad attitudes here and there. Cutting people off. And you just need mercy. You need someone to pray for you. Our prayer team is here. Maybe you don't know Christ and your heart is hungering for something deeper than just surface change. We want to pray for you. And so to my left, we'll have our prayer team here. And to my right, we have the bread and the cup offered for you. 
It's, it's, the, it's, it's what we feast on. It's, it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's what he has done for us. And so we come to the table not on our righteousness, but on his righteousness. Not in our works, but in his work. Not in our name, but in his name. And so when you come and take bread in the cup, you're saying, my relationship with you, God, is not based on all the things I've done, but what Christ has done for me. And so we want to invite you to come take the bread in the cup or to receive prayer on the side. Also want to say before I, I, I bless you all that uh, we have downstairs in the shell room, uh, there's some opportunities for you to learn more about what's happening in our next gen ministry. And so all the way from pre-K up to college age ministry, there's um, lots of different tables downstairs. Uh, you can sign up for various uh, volunteer and leadership opportunities and their donuts. Amen. Their donuts downstairs as well. And so if you want to get to those donuts faster than others, the express lane, as you know, is through that door here or that door as well. In the name of Jesus, go down and it's, it's going to be noon. So it's all right. It's, it, it's all right. So head downstairs to learn more about the good work that's happening. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. With your hands in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And may the work of Christ be received and applied to your life. And may you express the good work of that salvation to the world around you. I bless you on the strong and the beautiful in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.